You wouldn't go into a board of directors meeting to give a presentation without preparing. You wouldn't even go to an important dinner without preparing. You, you wouldn't do anything that had value and that was meaningful and important and significant without preparing, would you? Hi, everybody. This is the Pre-Accident Podcast. I'm Todd Conklin. How are you today? Huh? What? I can't hear you. I must be this cell phone. Oh my, this whole, whole cell phone thing is driving me bananas. I don't know about you. I mean, they're great and they're amazing and you carry a little computer and they've got all, you know, the world's information at your fingertip. But I, it just drives me nuts that I can't seem to figure out the whole where to stand in the airport and how to get a signal. And it says there's four bars, but people can't hear me and every other word's broken up. And don't hold your, it just drives me bananas. And I think the reason it drives me so crazy is because uh, really, I, I just kind of want it to be a phone, but it's got everything that, you know, people will say, well, what's the date on that meeting? And you're like, I don't know. The calendar I use is now on my ear. So in order to take it off my ear, I have to put you on speaker. You, you do this. I mean, I'm, this is really a weaselly thing to complain about, but it does kind of drive me nuts. It's very fun to watch though in uh, a classroom. Um, it's interesting to watch people try to sneak and use their cell phone. And then I sort of stand by them and make them feel uncomfortable. And then they say, I'm just taking notes. I'm totally taking notes. I was not texting anybody. I'm, this is my note-taking device. I don't know. I, you can tell me. I'll leave this as an open question because I think it's a worthwhile question. Is the world a better place because we have cell phones? And honestly, at this point, when I'm recording this, I don't know if I know the answer. So other than that, how are you? Uh, things screaming along pretty tastily. Uh, you're having a good summer so far. Everything happening the way it should be. Uh, everybody doing great things. Have you made any great so Are you telling success stories? Are you talking about what you do that's great? You know, in our world, because there's an absence of a null set, you can't measure things that don't happen. So you can't measure how many people don't get injured or don't die or how many buildings don't explode or how many how many computers don't go down. I mean, you sort of have to measure this absence of a null set. How many events that didn't happen are hard to measure because they didn't happen. One of the things I think we can look at and really understand is that we got to tell more stories of success. And that's such a huge part of what we do. Um, I've been working a lot recently with organizations that are really struggling around this whole idea of leading indicators. We ought to do some podcasts on leading indicators. And I'm sorry I don't talk about this more. I, I think I find it fatiguing. I, my favorite quote on leading indicators, Eric Hallnagel said, the only people that can see the future are in the movies. And that's kind of how I feel about leading indicators. They're a little bit science fiction-y. But nonetheless, I do think there are some indicators that help us understand which way our organization is vectoring. And near-miss reporting or near-hit reporting that's really interesting data, but it's only interesting if you take it to the second level of abstraction. So they report a near miss, and then the next question you ask is, okay, were we good or were we lucky? Did the near miss happen because we were good? Our systems, processes, controls were in place, and when the failure took place, the failure was not successful, which is 
pretty good data if that's how they answer the question. Or were we lucky? Did we almost have an injury or catastrophic failure, but by the grace of God, we snuck out of the way? And actually, if they tell you that story, that's pretty interesting as well, because that immediately identifies a place where there's clearly some brittleness in the system, and it's clearly time to put in some controls. What's amazing to me is that second level of abstraction question, good or lucky, takes what's kind of boring and a little bit compliance space, which is near misreporting, and notches it up so that near misreporting becomes a learning tool. And if you're not doing that in the world, please do it. Just grab a whiteboard, take a big Sharpie, put a line down the middle and write good on one side and lucky on the other. And then with dry erase marker, have people give you these near misses and process them with them and ask them questions. Were we good or were we lucky? And they'll tell you so much about your organization. And what happens is you get the near miss, which is a gift. It's uh, the accident without a mess. But you also get the opportunity to understand your system, its brittleness or its robustness, and actually move forward smarter than you were before you had the near miss. And that's so much better than a traditional report that says there's a knife in the sink, there's a tool on the floor, there's a rock in the parking lot. Those are interesting hazard identification exercises. But between you and me, and I don't think anyone else is listening, look around. Do you see anybody else listening? Between you and me, I'm not sure they have a tremendous amount of power. That really is ultimately what we probably ought to be doing is looking for ways to tell success stories about normal operations that allow us to learn if our systems are strong or if our systems are weak. That, if we could do that, I think the world would be a much better place. But that's not the point of the entire podcast. In fact, I would suggest that might just be a tangent that I took you on accidentally, didn't mean to, uh, kind of freaked out, but we went there and we lived through it and now we're coming back. That's not what I want to talk about today. What I want to talk about today is around this notion of preparation. And really, I would suggest things that are important in our lives, we prepare for. We practice weddings. We practice graduations. We practice speeches. We practice presentations. Things that matter, we practice. And one of the things that's so interesting about that is that is exactly what we want to talk about in this episode of the podcast. So sit back and relax. We're going to come back in with something that's a little controversial, but completely worthwhile in our discussion. So hold on. This, my friends, is the Pre-Accident Podcast, and it's a study on strategizing response when failure happens. So one of the more impressive things I've ever seen done in my whole career, and I've seen a lot of really impressive stuff. I mean, I've seen some cool stuff, was an organization that was about to double their workforce. And it was going to happen really at one time. So it was like Friday they were 100, Monday they were going to be 200. Only in this case, Friday they were like 2,500, and Monday they were going to be 5,000. And... They knew this was coming. I mean, this didn't happen accidentally. You don't double your workforce by accidentally doubling your workforce. There was lots going on to get ready for this. 
And so they had a, a, a date certain when they knew this transition was going to happen. And the senior leader of this operation decided one of the most valuable things he could do was bring the leadership team together and create a, a purposeful strategy, a deliberate improvement method to actually talk about what this means when you double the size of your workforce. And he talked about things like production and leadership, and he talked about pressures on support systems, logistics. I mean, there were lots of things to talk about. And that took the first maybe two hours in the meeting. And then the rest of the day, he spent strategizing how they were going to respond the first time failure happened with the new workforce. That's pretty brave. I mean, because first of all, you're admitting publicly to your leadership team that something bad's going to happen. And that is completely counter to the notion that every accident is preventable. And if we cared more and led better, we would not have any failure at all. In fact, what this leader said is, we can't expect perfection. We're going to put our system into turmoil. We're going to double it in its size. And even the most steady and stable parts of our system are going to flex and bend and give and parts of them are going to break. And when it happens, let's decide how we're going to respond as a leadership team now. Now, when the drama's low, now when the air is clear, now when we're sitting at little round conference tables in a fancy hotel, now when we can non-emotionally think, well, what's our path forward going to look like and how are we going to handle this problem? And that's brave. That's really, really brave. But also, between us, that's really freaking smart. I mean, that's, that's nutball smart. That's crazy leadership. That's where did that come from smart? Because I don't think they teach that to you in leadership school. And I'm really sure they don't teach that to you in safety school. And yet, if I'm going to give a presentation to the board of the directors, I, I'm going to practice it. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to prepare for it. While I'm in charge of the tempo, while I'm in charge of the capacity, while I'm in charge of the time, so that I can be ready for that presentation when it happens. It's really no different when you think about it operationally. And one of the things I would encourage you to do is to really think about how you're going to respond when a failure happens as a leadership team, and then discuss it, talk about it. Talk about R squared, A squared, roles, responsibilities, accountabilities, and authorities. Talk about who's going to do what and how we're going to posture and how we're going to put teams together and who's going to respond and who's going to learn and who's going to investigate and how we're going to do critiques of the event, how we're going to respond immediately, how we're going to respond in the near term, in the midterm and in the long term and really strategize the things you can control before the uncertain outcome happens. Now, this is something I talk about a lot. I mean, a lot. But between us, and it's just us, this is really a smart idea. And it's kind of an interesting, yet comma, scary comma, thing to do with the leadership team. But I promise you, once they get over the initial shock of just assuming perfection will not be attained, they will thank you after the balls start juggling. When the operation is in functioning mode when it's working and failure happens, that failure, although it is a surprise, 
The organization's response to that failure has been discussed and rehearsed and practiced. And we understand whose roles and who needs to communicate to whom and how the best way to communicate this information is and how we're really going to focus on taking the event and moving forward and understanding and learning so that we create a data set that allows us to draw the best possible corrective actions we can draw from that event. This thinking, this deliberate improvement strategy, this planning for failure and management's response to that failure, there's nothing about this that doesn't just smack of smart and good strategic thinking. Because you're using the strategy time to create the tactical response. Your strategy is what creates your tactics. And in order to have good tactics, you've got to take the time when the dust is not in the air and the flames are not shooting up and the explosions are not happening to talk about how to improve. How are we going to respond to the failure that we're going to have? Because no organization's perfect. No worker's perfect. No process is perfect. No work is, no client is perfect. No contractor's perfect. There's lots of imperfections that sort of swirl around each other and kind of make each other happen. And what's amazing, and I don't know how much you think about this, but as the world gets more complex, the world appears smaller, but in that smallness lie many, many complex relationships, tightly coupled, very, very significantly aligned functions that when failure happens, it's difficult to, A, predict how the failure will transpire and, B, what the failure will do. In a world with lots of complexities, it seems like preparation is a really good idea. So how do you do that? Well, I think it really behooves you, if I can use the word behoove, which I think means having the feet of a cow. I'm not behoof. It behooves you. To sit down with the senior leadership and say, one of the things we can do and have in our back pocket is this strategy. We can talk about how we as a leadership team are going to respond. And if you really are creative, you can probably create an opportunity to simulate a lot of this, again, while the dust is not up in the air and the event is not happening, so that you have practice time, you have preparation time. And when something happens, I mean, the least you can say is that as a leadership team, we were ready and understood our role and how we could respond. It doesn't take the pressure away from prevention. It doesn't take the pressure away from training, from certification, from selection. It doesn't create, uh, it doesn't take the pressure away from hazard identification and mitigation. All those preparation things, those prevention things we do, they're still a part of the story. They don't go away. We're just taking it that one next step further. And that one next step further, well, that next step really is the rehearsal for how we're going to react as a leadership team. Because if you remember the principles, and no matter where you got the principles, one of the things we talk about, almost always the fifth principle, if you're a five-principle organization, if you're you know, a fancy organization, you might have seven principles, but... The fifth principle where I come from was that management's response to failure matters. 
A worker can tell immediately, clearly, brightly how the organization is and what the organization values by simply observing how the organization responds to failure. Trust is incredibly hard to build, but super easy to destroy. Trust comes in on a turtle and rides out on a steed. And part of that has to do in some ways with the fact that when the uncertain operational upset happens, the non-predictable future event, oftentimes leadership is the most surprised group in the entire organization. And when leadership is surprised, then a lot of energy is spent sort of de-surprising, I made that word up, but de-surprising the leadership team so that they can go on and function as a unifying force and make strategic operational decisions about restoring the organization to the ability to do high-risk work again. This notion of rehearsing something that hasn't happened yet is not foreign. It's not a waste of time. It's not stupid. It's actually incredibly strategic. And what I know, especially from the story I started with, with the organization that doubled on one weekend, is that because they practiced and talked collectively about how they were going to respond as a leadership team, when the inevitable event happened, and it did happen, because if you double the size of your workforce, you're going to really, really pressure test all of your systems in a big way. When it happened, they were ready. And they responded in a way that reinforced the values and reinforced the communication and told the organization that what matters is not blame and shame. What matters is the ability to learn and improve. In a way, I guess that's what leadership's all about, is we serve as leaders in an organization as the strategic guides to help create tactical operations. And we do that as a function of the information we gather about our operations. Preparation, in a way, is yet another form of feedback. It's another way for the organization to learn from itself. And in many ways, it's the very quintessential definition of operational excellence. Put your leadership team together. Make them comfortable. Sit them down and say, when we have a failure, maybe it's large, maybe it's small, but when we have a failure, how are we going to respond and who's in charge of doing it? What are our roles and responsibility? What obligations do we have to communicate to each other? How do we best want this communication around high-risk failure? And what are we going to do to posture the organization so that the fail-safe, the bottom line, is that the organization learns from the failure and improves the operations of the organization. That is pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, it's not terribly difficult. It isn't a hard concept at all. You do it all the time for things like presentations, weddings, graduations, all these things that have significance to us, 
we tend to feel better when we're ready. One of the things we can do is create an environment within our organization where when something happens of significance, the very least we could say is we were ready. Is it tempting fate? Well, that's up to you. I would suggest, at least in my frame of reference, no, it's not tempting fate. In my frame of reference, I think it's a vital and important part of how we lead organizations in a complex environment, in a high production situation with low resource availability and much, much, much risk. We prepare for failing successfully. And because we prepare to fail successfully, when we fail, that preparation pays off and is immediately noted as a way to move the organization forward and restore its capacity to do work again. So that's the pie. What do you think? I mean, that's just a special thanks. So I got two notes, two emails and like two, like in one day, I don't know. It's like a, a couple of emails right together, both asking me questions about what do I do with this great expansion? So clearly, um, some industries in the United States are actually, I'm not even sure these were United States emails, but there are industries out there that because the economy's kind of taking this weird turn and man, stuff's going on there. Um, they're increasing their workforces again. So you see workforces ebb and flow like that. And so I got all these questions about, you know, any help would be appreciated. How do we sort of prepare ourselves for this kind of um, challenge? And I'm pretty sure the answer they thought I would give them is, you know, increase attention, increased training, increased prevention, increased hazard identification, you know, hearts and minds. Uh, Those are probably all great answers. But to me, if I were going to dramatically increase the size of my workforce, the first thing I would do was focus most of my attention on leadership and preparing them for understanding how to lead a larger project or a larger organization, understanding where the systems are robust enough to accept this kind of flux, where the systems we think are weak and will probably give way. And then how to respond when failure inevitably happens. Um, And that's always a hard discussion, but it's vital. It's worth every minute you can sort of muster up to walk people through this. And just ask them. Uh, Ask leaders, what do you want to do? What do you need to get out of this? Who needs to best serve this? What's happened? Who's going to make it better? And when's it going to happen? And you sort of build that straw man, that plan around the notion that what you really want to do is build an organization that is very good at responding to failure and that has the ability to respond early. And so early failure detection, weak signal indicators, those are really powerful, powerful tools. And so I thought, you know, I've talked about this a little bit earlier, but I don't think I talked about it directly, and I'm pretty sure I didn't just talk about it like I just talked about it. It felt like to me it was the right thing to do, and it felt like a really good topic, especially kind of midsummer, because this is one that hopefully you can chew on and think about, and you know, see what you can add to it or what you can subtract. If you think I'm I'm screwed in the head, tell me. I mean, I'm good with that as well. Your feedback matters. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Uh, subscribe. They finally explained to me why subscribing matters, and subscribing matters, and writing reviews matter. 
because they use the reviews as the search criteria so new people can find the podcast. So now I know. So I can never again say, write a review. They tell me it's important. Now they've actually told me why, because I ask. I said, why is this so important? But but it seems to be. Welcome. And if you're new, I promise you, other podcasts have a little more direction than this one does, at least at the end. But, you know, we're friends by now, and we hang out together a lot. And I'm really, really pleased that you're here. And I'm really pleased that you're making the world a better place. Learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. It's time to do that. And most importantly, be safe.